Hello, everybody. Hi. Welcome to another little series spinoff from the Project BFA. This one will be called Murder, Mayhem, and Chaos by moi, by Miss April here. Um, I'm going to start doing a little series that is about anything and everything to do with all of that. Murder, mayhem, chaos, serial killers, just evil, awful human beings. And I'm going to talk about him. I'm going to try to do uh, an episode a week, a little spinoff. Um, and we're just going to see how this goes. This is another little passion of mine. Um, I love podcasting, love recording and doing all the other stuff that we do. But true crime, all of this stuff has been since I was a kid. I have just been obsessed with more like what most people get obsessed about, I guess, like the whys and the hows and what made that, you know, those kind of things always has my brain going a mile a minute. Um, so it's something that I've always, always been interested in. So I'm going to start doing little spinoffs and do these little side episodes. Um, so bear with me. This is the first one. Um, and I'm doing it by myself, which is a little bit different. Um, but hopefully I can still deliver an awesome episode. Um, and uh, freak freak a lot of you people out. No, I'm just kidding. But so I'm going to start off by saying trigger warning, um, explicit content for all kinds of things for for SA for sexual assaults, um, obviously murder. And I'm going to get into graphic details. I don't hold back. Um, I'm one that likes to listen and hear all of it. I know some people choose to just not go that deep into details but for me that's what triggers me the most or that's what makes me the most about like oh my gosh why did this happen or how or how is this even a human being like how do they even exist or or just different things that they do just makes my brain go constantly so um but I want to make sure that you guys all know ahead of time explicit content trigger warnings um that if you don't really like this kind of stuff or you're maybe a little bit into it, but aren't about the graphic and gruesome details, then um, this might not be the right episode or little sideshow to be listening to. But give it a try. You never know. Um, but yes, I just want to put that out there. So we're going to start off with, this is somebody who, the way things were done and over all the time and so forth and so on, is kind of like a real life boogeyman to me. Um, I feel like there's been... Others, though, that are, are like, a you know, if you get into real details, like real boogeymen out there, you're not having Mr., you know, Mike Myers slowly chasing you and killing you. Like, so some of these people are like, they kind of get to me because it could happen, like, to me in a sense. Or these are the type of killers that um, kind of get me a little scared. Like, a little bit like, oh, oh, yeah, I don't, no, I don't want any of that. Um so this one is the story about David Parker Ray. <laughs> I always want to mix those up. Like, isn't Parker a last name? <laughs> but so David Parker Ray. So he is known as the toy box killer. There is one out there that is the toolbox. Um, that is a real one as well. But he is known as the toy box killer. Um, I have a feeling quite a bit of people in the true crime world know about him they might not know the extent of everything um but outside of that people aren't going to know about him you know he's not your Ted Bunny or Jeffrey Dahmer or like you know what all of the 
TV shows and movies constantly are making about the prolific serial killers. Now, his story is a little bit different. So he is labeled as a serial killer. But if you want to get technical and legal, he's not. And I'll explain. You'll get what I mean by that. So let's just dive in. So uh, David was born on November 6, 1939 um, in, I believe it's Belen, New Mexico. If I'm slaughtering that, my bad. Um, um, so mom and dad, him, he was born in 1939. And he also had a little sister that was born a couple years after him. His home life was probably what most can assume when you have people that grow up to do these awful inhumane things. But his dad drove trucks, so he was gone a lot. He was a very abusive alcoholic. Um, when he would come home, like it, it was only like every six months or so, um, he would, again, be violent, alcoholic, but he also, at like age of five years old, loved to show David some very awful like BDSM hardcore porn and pictures of women in many different ways, shapes, or forms, um, tortured, um, just really graphic, probably what you would consider as like a snuff film or snuff photos. Um, now this was also back in the forties, which I'm sure they were still quite awful, but nowadays that kind of stuff is, is so traumatic and so traumatizing. Um, but either way, he was exposed to some really, really awful sexual things. Um, I know that his mom and dad, like very neglectful, obviously, like I said, dad abusive. I believe mom also just not really there, probably also a drinker. Um, they, they didn't really specify more on her. It was more his dad that introduced him to these type of things at a very young age. Well, eventually his parents split up when he was about about that same time. So even as a little kid, like a little baby, like toddler, like growing up, like those first three years are like the most, most like specific years of like learning and growing and being a human and knowing about emotions and love and all this stuff. And he was immediately shown the complete opposite of all of that. So this is at age five, five, six ish. Um, his mom actually moved him and his sister in with his aunt. So the mom's sister, and they started living with her and the aunt was mostly the caretaker in a sense. Um, but his aunt did start sexually abusing him at that age and would force him to do sexual acts and again exposing him to awful porn and stuff like that um she would have friends come over like your typical not even tip anyways grooming sexually abuse um at a very very young age um now, the sister, you don't hear a lot about her either. I, I assume there was neglecting going on. Um, I would assume as well that maybe there was some form of abuse to her. They don't really talk about that a lot. And I don't know if it's because she was a girl and the aunt preferred the boy. I don't know. But um, what it sounds like is that he was mostly picked on, abused, neglected. But I'm sure she was as well. Um, so that went on, um, for a few years. So he lived there from like starting at the age five that started happening. And then at the age of 10, 
he moved in with his grandparents. Now, his grandma wasn't sexually abusive or there wasn't any of that going on anymore, but she was very stern and, um, but also neglectful. Like, I don't know. She would like make him do things around the house. You know what I mean? Like whatever chores, stuff like that. But like, she's also very verbally abusive. Um, but also just didn't want to take care of him. So it would always be like, basically like go out outside as soon as you wake up, like don't come back till later. Like, so just neglected. So at age 10, he's already been exposed some so to really really awful things and him himself has had some horrendous things happen to him and so you can kind of see the pattern and I will do an episode um soon that kind of talks about more of that kind of stuff like where some of these you know serial killers yes it's brain it's what they're born with but a lot has to do with nurturing and be you know that whole starting of life and what happens in those first years that have a huge impact on these on these killers and what they end up doing so either way it's been many years that he has been abused um 10 years old he is he's so smart though in the sense of at 10 years old he'd go out wander he started finding old engines that did not work anymore and he would take them apart and he would put them back together and build these insane engines for things like just that was just like his hobby on the side like so very like already kind of not like handyman but like already knowing so much stuff about cars, like kind of mechanical things, how they work. Um, so he spent a lot of time doing that and messing around. They didn't really say anything about animals, but I'm going to assume that there was something in that range of, you know, uh, did some bad things to like small animals and stuff like that and kind of showing those signs. But He's also just left to himself. So there's nobody to really watch over him and see what's going on or what he's doing. He just started doing his own thing. So at the age of 15, so he's still living with grandparents at this time. He's been there for a few years. He starts, I think a little bit before this, he claims like right there at the puberty, he claims that he started having fantasies about raping and killing and doing torturous awful things to women and he was fantasizing about that a lot now he also where he lived was very um like deserty forest like lots of land around him so he also went out and explored a lot he would find caves and like sleep in them and just do his things but he became very comfortable outdoors at a very young age already so at 15 is when he decided that he was going to take his first victim. Now, David kept a journal from this from this time on, like as soon as he had his first victim, he kept a journal. Now, most of it was like descriptions and then more of what he did to them um, because a lot of them, you don't know names. He doesn't even know their name. He doesn't really even know their age. He just kind of assumes and, you know, it's, it's victims that are, you know, same kind of boat maybe, or, you know, whether they're not they're neglected, they're living on their own as young, you know, those, he, those were kind of his victims, but at 15, um, so this is about 1955, he kidnapped and raped 
it says that she was 16, but again, that is from his journal, um, kidnapped, raped, and then they only assume that he murdered her. Um, this is where he is, I don't want to say the word smart, but he had a huge advantage because he'd already learned to live off the land and be by himself and didn't have to answer to anybody that he could just do whatever the fuck he wanted. So he kept a journal, but because there's no, there was no body found or, you know, missing girl, like reported missing and stuff like that. A lot of these victims will never know about. And we only know because of his journal. And I don't think that he is lying in his journal. I think the journal was a huge thing for him because he could go back and look and, and he was almost being, I don't want to say scientist either, but he was almost like starting out and writing things down so he could improve and he could do more and worse things. So this, mostly all of this goes off of his journal. So unknown 16 year old, more than likely they figure that he murdered her and then he just buries her out in the wilderness. Um, at age 17, so a couple years later, um, he met a girl named Shirley. Now, again, in the journal, it states that that's all they know. Some girl named Shirley. Um, she's, they say that she was about the same age. I think they said that she was 15. They don't know how they met. They don't know any of that, but she basically started helping him. So they would like, um, they, they, they did, let's see. So from what they know in the journal, there was about four victims that Shirley was involved with. Um, and of course, uh, they would like, if, like if somebody was hitchhiking or somebody like the girl ran away from home for the night, they would friend them. So she would friend them. And I'm assuming that she had the same dark and twisted fucked up shit going on to like want to be involved with him and he didn't take her like a victim. So don't really, nobody really knows how that ended up working and how they met each other and stuff like that. But she would help him or lure him, you know, or lure the victims and he would basically have a sidekick. And it reports in his journal that it was at least about four victims that they, that shows that Shirley was involved. Um, when he got with her too, he started using more torturous things. So it was always about kidnapping and like binding them up, um, learning how to do different tying and stuff like that. But he also started introducing fish hooks, uh, needles, sharp objects, things that are like minute, but he could use to torture for long periods of time because it's not necessarily going to kill them. Um, and of course, being females, like the torture too was sexual torture. So using these objects in the most like sensitive, awful places that you can imagine on a female body. And that's what he would do. So he would keep them for a few days, torture them, try new things on them, obviously sexually assault, rape them. And then from what most know or think, then he murdered them. Um, because again, there's no like police reports or isn't anybody saying, oh, hey, I was kidnapped and this happened to me. So they're just assuming that they did whatever they did. And then once the girls were dead, they would go dispose of their bodies. Now there is a possibility, which you'll learn a little bit more that maybe some of them 
did get released or whatever and maybe they just never wanted to come forward or you know what I mean maybe somebody didn't believe them but it sounds like more at this time that they were being murdered and then disposed of um there was one specifically that was like a 17 year old was stranded um this is out of like those four victims so she was like had a flat tire on the side of the road and then surely goes up and starts talking to her and is like oh yeah we'll help you like we'll give you a ride wherever you want and then of course as soon as she gets like in their truck or in them they kidnap her and take them up to the cave um there was an 18 year old that was at the bus stop um like last seen at the bus stop or it's not last seen it's what he writes in his journal again so he's putting like bus stop approximate ages or if he finds out kind of how old they are he'll write down how old they are but there's never really any names or anything so it's just basics um again kidnapped tortured her um more than likely disposed of the body um he then started getting into more bondage things so he was doing little things torturous a little bit um but he started getting into like rope bondage or basically it's called like breast bondaging where you cut off the blood flow to the breast now i am not <laughs> I know what BDSM is, but I'm not an expert in any of it. And so I don't know if some of these things are part of that world where it's consensual. And this is like, you know, some people enjoy this kind of stuff. So it sounds like to me it was kind of like part of that world, but he took it extreme and aggressive and wanted to cause harm and pain. But he started getting more into that, too. So he's like testing. He's like testing things out of like what he wants to do and he's kind of increasing in what he does to them and what he's learning and the bondage. Um, and then in 1958, he graduated. So, um, and he, and, and by this point, Shirley's nobody knows, nobody knows if maybe he did something to her. He didn't write anything in his journal, but they don't know like what made them separate and stop. He did end up moving. And I, I wonder if that's the reason why, um, that he so he ended up moving to Albuquerque when he graduated um and he was a mechanic he was really good at that stuff anyway so became a mechanic he'd work like little odd places and stuff like that um but he loved to be in bars um like loved to go out and party um that was obviously like his mo is being out and about and finding these people who are maybe even prostituting or you know kind of putting himself in that world um, he did end up getting married, right? Uh, it says in 1959. Now it, she was 17 and you cannot find any information about her name or like who specifically, but he, he did get, there is a, or they don't post that I think at this point and maybe because she was, I don't know, but you're not able to find like her, her name's hidden. So got married, and he actually joins the military at this time. Now, he was over in Korea and he's, you know, almost like what, 19 years old. He's already been killing and kidnapping and torturing for years. And so one can only imagine, like he didn't keep a journal during this time either, or they never found anything for Korea. But you can only imagine that he was absolutely doing these things there. Like, you know, he was in some form. Maybe he didn't have his like little cave or his areas to do but you know damn well that he didn't stop you know that he was still doing some stuff there 
So they say more than likely he killed and tortured and did things over there. And I mean, if you guys all know about war, not even non-serial killers will go to different countries and do awful fucking shit to people. Um, most of the time it's the women and you're being, you're at war. And I know a lot of that stuff happens. And then, so he was there for a little while. I think he, he only did it for about a, uh, a couple years. Well, so in the military and in 1960, so basically a year after being married, he had his first child. Um, and they say that like he would come home from war and that's obviously when he was conceived and then he was back. So in 1960, he had his first, uh, little boy. Now in 1961, he got divorced from that wife. I think she obviously had some issues because he was able to get full fucking custody of his little boy. Um, now on the outside, David was like nice and polite and outgoing and people always thought he was a decent guy and he worked really hard and he liked to have fun. So I'm sure when she's got issues, probably drug problems, alcohol, something of that nature, of course, they're like, oh, well, this parent's still good. So they gave him full custody and he ended up leaving his son with his grandma, with, with David's grandma. So like great grandma or whatever, who he grew up with. So he ended up just getting full custody and then being like, here, take my child. And then uh, only like about a year later, he got married again, but it only lasted three months. So in 1962, got married again. Um, and he was then honorably discharged from the army. So he got, he got out of that, came home. Um, and they say approximately once, once he got back and he was dishonorably discharged or honorably discharged, um, it seems like he took about maybe a couple victims a year. They were just kind of averaging at this point. But in 1963, so that was like literally once he got back, um, he, on his journal, he, and he is still in um, Albuquerque, by the way. So he abducted two girls. Um, one was the age of 22 and it just said bar. So I'm assuming he picked her up at the bar. And then the other one was age 25 and it said hitchhiker. So again, he's just finding victims like opportunities when they're alone or I'm sure he was very persuasive at the bars and being like, oh, let's go back and party at my house after party. And like he would find ways to get these girls. Um, and at this time, he stepped up his torturing and started getting into electric shock therapy at this point. So he's still doing little torturous things, sharp objects, knives, fishing, you know, things that aren't going to kill somebody, but that are going to be very painful and awful and torturing. Um, and of course, I'm sure it was all more sexually, like the places that you can't imagine. Like, it's so hard to imagine that like that kind of stuff was going on on that parts of the body. Um, there really wasn't much more. He just put that in there, like started using the electroshock, started getting into that again. He's just kind of keeping a basic record for himself. And so that is where the lot of this information, because so far, even if these girls are reported missing, um, no, or some of them weren't like they don't, there's nowhere to go. Like they, there's no leads. There's there's nothing to point towards him or that all of a sudden you're noticing like some girls. Cause here's the other little thing. I know that he would go 
um, like travel a little bit sometimes, go visit friends or whatever he would do. And he would do it at that place. Like if he went camping in another state or something like that, like he would find somebody out there, abduct them, do whatever. So he kind of would do it out and about too in different places. So there wasn't like a really a pattern of like all of a sudden all these girls are going missing from the same area. It was all over the place. So that was also why it was a little bit hard to even know that anything was going on at all. Um, and then the same year, um, so, so 1963, he's about 23 years old at this point. Um, and he's had a, at least about 10 victims since his first one. So from 15 to 23, at least 10. Now these are, again, are just documented in his journal. So some don't really know. Um, he's already been, um, married, divorced twice or married twice, divorced twice. And he's got just the one little kiddo at this point. So at 23 years old, he's got the one son. And then a few years later in 1966, he met, um, a lady named Glenda. She actually already had a little boy, um, and they got married and then they ended up having their first child. So this would be, uh, Ray's or Ray's David's, uh, second child. And it was a little girl. So they had that together and then he just basically abandoned them. He just like his one son was still living with grandparents or whatever. He had another baby with this lady and she already had a little boy and he just left them. He just started like being a drifter and he would go out and camp and travel. He'd do odd jobs because he's a mechanic and like he was really good at it. He would just go work whatever and do whatever and and yeah, just go wander off. Um, and they don't really show during that time much going on. Um, he probably did have victims. Like I said, he kept, he kept pretty good journal of like who and what, but, or what, um, but they don't really show. They just show that he started dripping, left his family. And then a couple more years later. So the fall of 1969, he is back in Albuquerque. He actually does go back to Glenda, his wife. Um, because they hadn't really been divorced. He just kind of left them. So he comes back to them and he becomes a certified aircraft mechanic. So getting a little bit more into other jobs, you know, so basically just doing more mechanical things. But now he knows about planes and every cars and trucks and all of that kind of stuff. So he has a more wide variety of jobs to do. Um, in 1970, however, so a year later, um, he actually moved to Tulsa, um, and he was really respected. He always had like, he was really good at his job. He was, um, an instructor, like a mechanical instructor at this point. Um, he actually started treating his family good. Like he wasn't neglecting them. He wasn't going out that much, like started being involved in the kiddos, which would be like his stepson and then the daughter that he had. Um, and yeah, so that was like one of the big things. And that's, that, they also wanted to point that out, that to the outside world, again, he doesn't look like a harmful person or like anything like that. Right. Like he just is a guy that has kids, you know, maybe he likes to party a little bit, but he's respected. He's nice. Um, people that worked with him was like, he did a really good job. So there's no reason for anybody to ever think like that he was a creepo and that crazy shit was happening. And what's crazy is that he's already had so many people at this point. But again, 
you got to also realize, I mean, this is the 70s, 60s and 70s. You have Candyman was like in the 50s. You've got John Wayne Gacy. You've got um, Ted Bundy. Like serial killers were at their prime. Um, the term serial killer didn't even come out until the 70s. Like the FBI didn't even know or they didn't even create serial killer until then. So there was a lot going on and I feel like there was a lot of people being found or not found or going missing. And so I'm sure that at that time in life, it was just too crazy to keep up. Everybody was out murdering people, which is <laughs> crazy to say, but it's true. Um, because they could also get away with it. We didn't even know any of those things. We didn't know about serial killers. We didn't know about this stuff and they were doing it. Um, so in, let's see. So now, now we're fast forward to basically 1973. He is 33 years old at this point. Um, he, he claims five more victims around this time. Again, he wrote down that two of them were sisters. Um, another two he met at the bar. And this one's sad. This one is he um, put on there that he met a woman, but she had a little boy with her. And he had that in his journal. So they mostly feel at that point that I'm sure that he ended up killing the child as well. Um, he, at this point too, also lives... Um, like close or he goes back and forth, but basically elephant Butte Lake elephant Butte national park is right there. And that is like what they think is that's what became his dumping ground. Um, that lake is so deep in the middle of it and whatever the sand and stuff is made out of it, like encases things. So whatever you put down in there, if it makes it down to the bottom, it's almost like it encases it and it keeps it hidden down there. Um, so they believe that a lot of bodies were put in there or again, he just knows the whole outside world or like, uh, nature and wilderness and stuff. So he could go bury their bodies anywhere and everywhere. And then you have wildlife, you have all, you know, but that's what they were thinking. And, and in his journal, he talked a lot about elephant butte. And so they believe that, a, that a lot were put in there. Now at this point, you guys, again, there is nobody like it's not put out there. I mean, some of these people are, are put out there missing, but there's been nothing done. They're not finding any bodies, nothing. So there's not a really a way to like start trying to figure out what's going on. I'm sure at this point you just have a lot of missing people. Um, and if some of them are street workers or like sex workers or they're runaways or, you know, even some were like fighting with their spouse, you know what I mean? And they go to the bar to go do things. Um, they're probably going to be known as missing, but again, like they're kind of putting themselves in a riskier situation to where people wouldn't really know where to go from there. Just the fact that they're missing. Um, so at this point, basically he's been in Texas at some points, Arizona, New Mexico, and he just killed and did the, did it the whole time. So he would pick people up randomly. Like I said, he'd go camping, um, have somebody and like, and his victims were never planned. Like he would just be out and about and be like, Oh, like he even talked about like lesbians where like, it was almost a challenge for him. It's so disgusting. But like he would talk bad. He would talk some awful gross shit about like um, more like a lesbian that looks more manly and how he would like to do all these things to her. You know what I mean? And so he didn't have like a specific victim in mind. It was women. 
but ages didn't really matter. Looks didn't really matter. It was just like crime of opportunity and when he wanted to. I mean, sometimes he'd want to go do it and so he'd go drive around and find him. Sometimes he's just partying and it happens to come up. So, and I mean, he's already, so 33 years. So this is already like 18 years of kidnapping, torturing, killing. It is crazy though. It is crazy that bodies haven't like the, at this point, no bodies and stuff like that. Well, uh, at this moment, so you're about 1973, um, right in there, mid-70s, um, his daughter, her name is Glenda Jesse Jr., but she goes by Jesse. His daughter, Jesse, now, he didn't hide anything from her, in a sense. Like, she knew that he would bring some women back from bars. Um, he... You know what I mean? Like she was kind of exposed to it. He also, from what they say, like exposed her to porn and exposed her to some of those same exactly like what happened to him. Um, he didn't ever sexually abuse or do anything to his children, but he exposed her to a lot of that stuff. So like to her, it wasn't any it wasn't a bad thing. That's just like some people did that stuff. Um, so so yeah, he started exposing her. I believe she was about 10. So just, yeah, sexual behavior, gruesome behaviors. He didn't hide like certain things that he was doing. Um, like she knew that he was kidnapping and killing, like she knew all of this stuff, but to her that was normal. And maybe she didn't know into depth, like killing and stuff. Cause she was still young, but she knew that her dad would like have these really awful sexual fantasies and so forth and didn't hide it from her. Well, in 1981, he divorced Glenda. Finally, they got divorced. Um, and he moved to Phoenix, um, where he opened like a, up like a body shop, like a, a mechanic shop and with a partner. And he was making lots of money. At this point, the business was booming. He was such a good mechanic and so forth and so on that they were making lots and lots of money. Um, and so in 1983, so this is kind of just like, you know, every couple months. So divorce, and then he moved to Phoenix, does the auto body shop. And then in 1983, he, he buys a second home. And this is in, which is the craziest name. This city is named Truth and Consequences. Truth, or no, Truth or, sorry, not and. Truth or Consequences. Out of all places that he could be doing shit truth or consequences, which is so crazy to me. So that's his second home. Um, so he had that and the second home in Phoenix. So he's got these two places now. He's got two residents. He's traveling wherever. And he also joins a BDSM group at this point. So, I mean, this is in the eighties. So it's obviously probably word of mouth meeting people out and about. You don't have social media you don't have all this shit where you guys can keep in contact and stuff like that. Like it's obviously got to be word of mouth and like a secret society type of group. So then he starts getting more and more into that. And of course that's giving him more ideas and updating him on different things. And he's also just exposing himself to that constantly. He then gets married again to, um, Joni, her name's Joni, the fourth marriage. 
and he started creating like different bondage and torture devices. Like he would rig because he's a mechanic. He would rig like sexual toys onto hydraulic things. He would um, just create different bondaging like our bondage with different materials and different things. And he would test them on this wife. So then he starts like up in his game with um, making devices now and making torture things um, and started having that. Like I know he had a wooden, it sounds like it's almost like a wooden, almost like if it would be like a bear, not a barricade, but a wooden post where basically he would bend people over it, strap them down and then did awful horrendous things. Then. But like that was like in his house um, he had a lot of sex toys and things like that bondage that was just like in the home that was just like normal to be around and to have. But yes, he did start testing on her. Um, now, Jesse didn't realize like because she's, you know, she's preteen at this point. Like she doesn't realize that like what he's doing is bad because, again, it's all around her all the time. She just figures that's how it is. I'm sure she's around a lot of partying and a lot of that too. Like it's just a normal way of life for her. So it doesn't click that like her dad is doing awful, horrendous shit to people. Um, but in 1986, so I was just trying to see, yeah, again, she'd probably be about 16 ish at this point. Um, she had a big fight with David. So her and her dad got in a huge fight. Nobody even really knows what about or whatnot, but I, I don't think it had anything to do with what was going on. It was gotten a huge fight. I feel like she didn't get what she wanted. So she actually went to the FBI in 1986, June of 1986. She called the FBI, literally said, my dad is like taking women back, kidnapping. He's doing crazy things to them and he's killing them like, like, they say that she spilled the beans, you know, as much as she could, as much as she could remember and talk about and everything she did. Well, there was a whole one year investigation into him and the FBI claimed that they couldn't find anything. Like there was nothing. I mean, when you go into somebody's house and they have like BDSM things and sex, like that's not illegal. That's not, there's like, that's just a way of life. So from what they could tell and 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 then of course like they talk to people and they're like oh no he's so he's no no way no way he would be doing that like he's so respect you know what I mean like people respected him but apparently a whole year of investigation couldn't find anything weren't able to charge with anything there was nothing I'm sure too at this moment he probably halted on what he was doing once he knew that she did that so of course they're not going to catch him in the act of kidnapping or doing anything like he just held it off for a minute now, in 1988, so a year-long investigation, nothing happens, done. In 1988, him and his co-owner of the mechanic shop, Billy, um, get in a huge fight because Billy wants to leave, um, like leaving the business and stuff. He didn't want to be involved anymore. And then guess who goes missing? Oh, Billy goes missing. And they have no idea. Nobody knows where he could be or anything. Like he just went up and missing. Um, and at the same time, David is creating his toy box. So this is where he gets the toy box killer. He um, 
like got an old trailer, like a camping kind of trailer, um, and like gutted it all out. And he puts in these soundproof walls. Anyways, he starts building this trailer, you guys, that you can see pictures. Um, I know that on some some social media I can post some of those things. Um, and I'll let you guys know. I believe Instagram will allow you to post some of those things. So, um, But yes, I will let you guys know if I'm able to. If not, I'm sure after you guys hear some of this or once you start hearing this, you can look this stuff up so you can see this trailer and it was actually ended up and I'll get to that opened up to the public at some point but he starts building this trailer where it's got it's basically got an old gynecological table or it was like a I think it was just like a doctor's table anyways he made it into a gynecological like stress like stirrups and everything in the middle and then all around was just every type of sex toy but all the devices that he created he would put uh spiked like a dildo and put nails in it and then he would attach that to like a hydraulic machine um I mean every kind of surgical instrument you can think of uh there was just porn all over the place like pictures pornographic pictures pictures of things that he had done to people um there was a mirror up above uh, I mean, I'm talking if, yeah, you have to look at the pictures to be able to comprehend. And even then it's hard to fucking comprehend, but he was doing that. And this, this cost him like a hundred thousand dollars at least to get this all going. So as he was getting the toy box put together, he would kidnap people and test things out. He also had little like pull out almost like a drawer, but it was big enough. It was basically the size of a small little boxed coffin that would be on the sides so he could he could keep two at once he could put one in the chair and then he'd keep one in the box so that they could hear what was going on so there were sometimes when he would have two victims at once and he would yeah lock one in the coffin and have the other one on the table doing things so at this time two women are abducted and he starts testing this out right putting them in there and doing that um he also starts with so he does this he starts realizing that like ooh, how can I make this even more fucked up than it already is like I don't know how you could but he does he manages to make it even worse he decides to record a tape like a voice recording of him and it's it's you can listen to it you can go find it you can actually listen to this you guys it's so it's fucked up it's 50 minutes long, but he goes on there and he talks about exactly what he is going to do to these women and, you know, just says the most vile, awful fucking shit on there. But what he does is when he kidnaps them, he also got into drugging people. Um, that's like the kind of a thing. So once he got the toy box going, he started abducting and trying things out and seeing, but he, um, he made that, that tape and then he would also drug them so they would wake up like headache, disoriented, no fucking clue where they are. They'd be naked. They'd be tied down. So most of the time they had a blindfold on for the moment, um, but but they could probably see some things. Anyways, he would play this tape for them before he did anything. So once they were conscious, he would play this fucking tape. And oh, and his like I get the chills right now because his voice is so fucking creepy. <laughs> So that was like the step up, right? 
he starts playing that for them and like telling them every little detail about what he's going to do. Well, at about the same time, it was, well, it was 1989. So the toy box was about 1988. Um, no, for sure. Two women at that time. And again, he was keeping a journal and like a tally. Like I know there was a clipboard that had certain information and then marks, check marks. And they believe that the check marks were like how long he had them, like how many days or whatever it is what they can configure. Um, but in 1989, a fisherman found a tarp in Elephant Butte Lake and guess who was wrapped up in that? Oh, his old, um, co-partner, Billy was a man, a gunshot wound to the head. So they found him, but they couldn't like, there was still no correlation of like, that it was like what happened to him. They just found his body and they're not looking at David. They're just like, oh shit, we found him. Like he must've gotten into something, but we all know that it was David that did it. So at this point, it's 1989, basically 34 years ish of abducting, killing, torturing, doing all kinds of crazy shit between sounds like three different states, at least. Um, the only body that has been discovered at this point is Billy is his business partner. There's been no bodies found that they can figure out like what happened or who nothing, nobody has found. Um, and then, so he's still doing his thing still, you know, the whole, the whole toy box. And, and he just keeps adding more and more and more into it and more ideas to the point where he's just got this whole thing full of just every god awful thing you can possibly think of for sexually torturing and just torturing and mind fucking people in that. Um, in 1994, so it was a few years later, he did divorce that Joni, I guess it's Joni Lee, but he did divorce her. He sold his home in Phoenix because that's where they lived. And he went back to his and he went back to the other place in truth or consequences. I still that truth and consequences. Um, and that that's actually where Elephant Butte Park is. And he became a state park employee at this point. So not only now does he have access to every place on that national park, he's got keys that people don't have that nobody else has to get into you know, there's those little places that when you work in those national parks that are fenced in and buildings and utilities and stuff like that, he has access to the whole entire park and the lake and he lives right there. And now he's in a uniform. So he's driving around in a little state truck in his uniform. Everybody again, respected, hard worker, nice guy, like nothing. There is nothing for people. And you know that girls or people are going to be more trusting, right? Like everybody kind of knew who he was. Um, definitely at the bar and stuff like that. Like they knew of him, but great guy, nothing wrong. Like, eh, you know, Ugh, so, so awful. Um, in 1995, he steps up his game to starts like educating himself in medical books, mostly educating himself on how he can torture you know, draw blood, do all these things and not kill his victim. Cause I'm assuming up until this point, the problem that he's been having 
is the things that he would do to people would kill them and he wasn't ready for them to be dead yet. And so he decided, he started looking into medical books about places on the body that you could do things to and this and that and it wouldn't cause death. Which is just like, again, a whole nother level of fucked up. Like you don't think that he can get worse and he ups himself. He like, can take it up one more. And at this point, at this time, he does get three young girls. Um, again, he'd put like one in the coffin box while he was torturing the other one so that they could hear it um, at one point. And then like, and he could only keep, he only did two at a time for, like, they didn't show where he did three at a time. But I'm assuming like with that one, there was three girls, at least at one point there was two in there. And several times I think there was two, I guess technically he could have had three where he'd put them in the coffins. Like there was two and then he'd have one. Now they were always handcuffed and chained. And like I said, he would, excuse me, he would drug them. Now where he got these drugs, like nobody really knows. Some of them are really intense and they would cause like kind of amnesia. So they wouldn't really remember what happened to them. Um, and this is where that kind of stuff again comes into play that you're just like, what the fuck? Like, how are these fucked up people so good at configuring things and doing things to where they can't get caught? It's crazy to me. I'm like, not that we can go back. Like, I would think that if his childhood was a little bit different, he maybe could have turned out a little bit differently. And I always say that about certain people where I'm like, they're so fucking good at that. Or they're like such good artists or they're such good like engineers, but yet they're fucked up. They're so fucked up in their head that they're using it for awful things. Um, he did also start taking Viagra at this time. Fucking gross. It's gross to think about, but, um, did start taking the Viagra. He's getting a little bit older. Um, and let's see. So this is where we start with. So 1996, um, Jesse, his daughter was like, Hey, I'm going to get you somebody tonight. Okay. Let's go. Let's have some fun. Um, or you have some fun. I still can't comprehend what his daughter, like he didn't do anything to his daughter himself. I mean, I kind of think there was sexual abuse and stuff like that because the relationship she has with him is like, she starts helping him, but he's also very manipulative and every convinced like that when he was 15, he had that girl that randomly helped him. Like he's had wives that have let him try things on them. Like he's just obviously very able to manipulate people, but there is a bar right there in truth and consequences. That's blue water saloon is what it's called. And that's like one of their main hangouts. Well, there was a lady named Kelly. I didn't write down their last names. You can look this stuff up, but named Kelly, who got in a fight with her husband. So she went to the blue water saloon and she was going to have a ride, but the ride left and she was like, that's okay. I'm still going to hang out and have fun. And Jesse said, Oh, don't worry about it. I'll be able to give you a ride home. Like once we're done, if you want to stay and party a little bit, I'll be able to give you a ride home. Well, as they go to leave, Jesse makes a comment about, Oh, I just need to swing by my house really quick. I want to say it was something dumb, like getting a cup of coffee, trying to remember exactly. But either way, she's able to coax her to go back to her house really quick before she drops her off. And as soon as they walk into the home, David's waiting 
and he immediately ties her up. Um, doesn't drug her because he's just like ready to get to it, I guess. But he ties her up and puts her in the in the toy box. So he has her in there. And now this is going to get into some graphic things, but he has her in there and he starts trying to torture her with certain things. Um, what he specifically says is that he was trying to use a very large and long dildo, but um, Kelly actually had what's called a tilted uterus. And what that means is just the way your uterus sits in your body, again, is tilted and it's off-centered. So sex and any penetration, anything like that at all is super, super duper painful. And it's been, and she even said that with like her husband, like you couldn't, like she had a hard time and they couldn't do that because it was always painful, but she didn't ever know what was wrong. So you can only imagine, oh God, that you already have this situation and now here you are being sexually tortured but what ended up happening is it pissed David off he wasn't able to do the things that he wanted to do and keep them alive and stuff so he got pissed off at her so what he ended up saying is like fuck this he ended up drugging her filling her pumping up full of the drugs and she fucking he fucking drives her you guys this this is crazy he drives her to her home like kind of throws her out of the car she kind of comes to like in her front yard and he fucking goes up to their door goes up to her front door knocks on it her husband and and mother-in-law are there and he claims that he found her wandering and wanted to make sure that she got back to where she was supposed to go. Now, get this. Her husband didn't believe. Didn't. Well, so once that happens, she loses it. And she's like, no, 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 no. Like, they kidnapped me. They were torturing me. But she can't She can't remember a whole lot because the drugs that they give her cause, like, this amnesia state. So she's, like, begging and pleading and saying, no, I promise, like, and her husband just thinks that she cheated on him, that she went home with, with another guy, or was out doing whatever, um, he, um, sorry, yeah, and then she just, and then that was that, so they were, like, they didn't believe her, and they basically were, like, no, we're done with you, so she didn't go tell the cops or anything because they, her husband and her mom already don't believe her. She didn't say a fucking word and she just went on with her life. And then, um, in 1997, so just again, this just kind of happens periodically. Um, he ends up meeting, um, a guy, a girl named Cindy and like, I don't even know. It wasn't really a boyfriend, but it was another guy, Yancey. Um, sorry, I'm trying to remember what his first name. I, I kind of goofed on writing down just what I needed to say. Anyways, Yancey. So these guys kind of become accomplices. They start joining in on the fun at the bars. And when David would bring girls back, um, they would join in on it. They would all basically have like these fucked up orgies and and doing god-awful things to people so so basically being accomplices 
Um, and at this time, Yancey was dating a girl named Marie. And Marie came back. They were all partying. And for some reason, and I'm sure it's because David was testing, he flat out told him, you need to fucking kill her. You have to kill her. I want to have my way with her and then you will kill her. And sure enough, like they all had their way with her. And then Yancey was actually the one that strangled her to death. And then they just went out in the desert somewhere and buried her body. So now he kind of has an accomplice and he has especially Yancey who has actually physically killed somebody and then put them out there. And then in 1999, so same or a couple years later, basically at this point, he's 59 years old, 59. And if I can do my math right, let's see, 15 to 15, another 15, 45, another 15. So, I mean, you're talking over 30 years of kidnapping, raping, torturing, killing. Like it's crazy. And yet no bodies have been found to even make people go what and because of the one that he let go she didn't say a word to anybody so there's still not anything out there that would seem like something was going on and he's just getting away with this huh and then on so in 1999 it says February 21st so a friend or she's like a neighbor she lives down the street or whatnot he um kidnapped her tortured her and decided you know what I'm gonna let her go but he does he does end up like slitting her throat and like thinking that she wasn't gonna live right and just like throws her out on the side of the road well she comes to and it just so happens that an off-duty officer was driving by and he stops because she looks like a fucking disaster and I'm sure bleat like all this shit but she can't remember like anything. So she's in there trying to say, well, I think this happened and I think this and the officer doesn't believe her. And he's like, oh, she just, she's a probably a sex worker that got herself into something that she like, like basically, oh, it's her own fault. And back then you guys, even with Dahmer and I'll probably eventually do his, but there was a huge thing about gay people. Like you didn't, you didn't involve yourself. Like, the whole AIDS thing was huge. And so a lot of times like that was the whole Dahmer thing, like why he was hardly ever investigated because they were like, Oh, you know, they're, it's just a gay couple, whatever. Also sex workers. Nobody gave a flying fuck about sex workers. I mean, to this day, I still think, especially in America, it's very much so still frowned upon and like, Oh, they're not human beings. Like we don't give a fuck about them. So when things would happen to them, it would be they everybody would be like, Oh, that's your fault. It's your fault. Maybe you shouldn't do what you're doing. So, of course, he didn't believe her. So there's two. There's two that have been kidnapped, tortured, released, but can't remember enough to where people will actually believe them. Or even just be like, okay, maybe we don't really understand what's going on, but let's look into this. Nothing. They don't do shit. It bothers me. Again, we're in a prime where law enforcement, police, I mean, there's just not a lot going on. And the FBI is just barely kind of a thing with all of that. And like, so, and at this time too, you do have Ted Bundy and you have Dahmer, you have all of those really big ones that start getting busted. And so I know a lot of attention was drawn towards that. Um, but there was a lot of people doing a lot of shit during this time when it comes to killings. So there's two now that have gotten away 
that still nobody believes them. So he still just continues doing his shit. On March 20th of 1999, so still in that same year, he kidnaps a lady named Cynthia, Cynthia Vigil. He kidnaps her. Um, I'm pretty sure this is another one where he meets her at the bar and is able to like, I think he's able to get her. And I believe it was like hit over the head or something like that, where he was able to get her in and then gets her. He actually brings her into the home first. Now, he usually they would like wind up right in the toy box, right? For the most part, everybody woke up in the toy box. You'd wake up all tied up, naked, blindfolded. You'd start hearing this voice recording going off like crazy fucking shit. But he brought her into their home and he had her chained up. So he had her, he had her handcuffed and then he had a metal collar with a metal chain attached to it. So she was like chained up to like, um, a metal post like in his house like he had it set up to where he could chain people up and like I said he had some other torturing devices and other stuff in the home so he brings her in he chains her up now he loosens her a little bit because she wants to use the bathroom and about the same time um he leaves to go to the store because he wanted to go pick up supplies for what they were going to do to her. So they were going to move her to the toy box that night and start doing what they wanted to do to her, but he needed to go get supplies. So at this time that, so if you remember the sin, uh, Cindy, so Cindy and Yancey, Yancey's the guy. So Cindy was there and I'm assuming everybody just kind of hung like those three just hung out there probably Cindy and David had something going on as well. Like I'm sure they all just did their to each other and so forth. Um, so she's left with Cindy. Well, she realizes at one point that Cindy gets up to use the bathroom, right? And she looks over on the table and the fucking keys are there. The keys are on the table to unlock her. So she just says, fuck it. I have to go for it. So she goes to get the keys she gets them she unlocks herself but as she's like going to run outside so she's able to undo her hands and feet she still has the collar on and chain but she's able to undo herself from like in the home as she goes to run out Cindy catches her right and um Cindy so this is Cindy and Cynthia Cynthia is the one that's kidnapped Cindy grabs a lamp Hit Cynthia or yes, hit Cynthia over the head with it, trying to debilitate her. But of course, I'm sure at this time, Cynthia's like fighting for her fucking life. Like she knows that if she doesn't make it out of there, she's fucking dead. So she it kind of stumbles her a little bit. Um, and she's able to grab an ice pick. Cynthia's able, like, I'm sure, like on the ground or something, like trying to get her bearings, grabs an ice pick, and she's able to stab. Cindy with it so she stabs her and she's able to escape now she escapes butt ass naked with a big metal chain around her neck or collar and a metal thick ass chain attached to it she's running down the street like this and so this is the moment when finally because they weren't able to drug her yet or anything like they had just had her there for the minute and trying to prep so she knows everything she can recall everything 
So they go to the police. And finally, David and Cindy and Yancey, like the whole crew is arrested. And once they arrest him, like obviously inside his home, they can already see some crazy shit. Like I said, the sexual toys, the devices, like BDSM, all the stuff that they have inside the house. Um, so that is immediately like a red flag. But then they find this trailer outside that has like 20 fucking locks on the outside of it. Like every lock you can think of. Right. So he secures it. It's even got like the because I want to say it was more of like a shipping container, but they do claim that it was an old camper. But it seems like it's got that when you look at the back of it. So they're like, well, we probably should see what's in here. And this is when they discover the toy box. Now, in the toy box is where he had the journals for there. And I think they found his other journals just in the house. But basically him keeping tally marks and everything. They found a clipboard with all this paper on there written on. So they start piecing things together. There's there's footage you guys can see inside this toy box. Um, I know there's one documentary on YouTube that just is more specific about the toy box and kind of going into that, um, into those kind of details. Um, but I mean, the officers are just immediately like, like I couldn't imagine coming across that stuff. Um, that's one for the books that would really kind of stick with you and kind of fuck, fuck you up, especially if you're a female. Um, but for even males, like knowing what these devices and stuff were used for. And then they found his fucking tape, his voice recorded tape and started listening to that. And then they realized like this person has been doing awful, awful fucked up things to people for a very long time. And nobody even knew nobody had any clue reminding you again, no bodies have been found at this point. The only body that ever came up was Billy's. And I think that that one was, um, not meant to be like he shot him. So they were fighting and he shot him and the, I think he just hurry and wrapped him up and threw him out there. Like, I don't think he thought more about it as in where he would take the other victims and he would bury them. But again, there was probably more that were let go because he decided to do whatever the fuck he wanted. If they survived and he was done playing with them, he probably let more go than we know. Um, and, and we do, we do know this because, so at this point you have, um, you have Cynthia that would just escaped and basically got him busted. And then you have that Angelica who was let go. Um, and, or the two, you have Angelica and Cynthia and, and Kelly. So all like these three, these three women that had been let go and the one escaped. Now at this point though, they, they go through and they, there is some video footage. He did record some video footage of the actual victims and they realize that the one on there is that Kelly, the one that was claiming that like, she doesn't remember all the way, but she knows that she was like kidnapped and awful things happened to her and her husband and stuff didn't believe her. So they came to her and said, we found the footage, you know, it had her tattoos and stuff. And then she realizes that everything, like that she wasn't wrong, that like this really did happen to her. So now you have three victims that survived. You have Cynthia, Kelly, and Angelica. Still no bodies. They searched his property. They found dog bones. 
um, some other animal bones, but around his property, nothing. And then obviously he has this toy box that is going to have like DNA and stuff, but again, doesn't prove murders. He didn't like, he didn't like film himself murdering it just he would do little things so again there's still nothing to specifically tie him to murders and all these victims because he would go out and the bodies were never found so around his little place they didn't find anything so what ends up happening in the long run is you've got those three victims the that were not killed and then you still have cindy Yancey and David. So they're all arrested and Jesse, his daughter. So all of them are arrested and Cindy immediately turns on everybody. She immediately spills all the beans about where as much as she knows when, when she got involved, um, she spills the beans about Yancey, about them like torturing his girlfriend, Marie, and then killing her. So she just starts spilling the beans. She just starts turning against all of them. And in the long run, Yancey confesses to being part. Um, to me, it sounds like he took a deal, right? Like he he confesses. They talk about things. Um, everybody's getting deals because that's how it also works. Because in order to actually get somebody for something, they're going to have to have people talk. They have no fucking evidence to prove murders and stuff. Um, and the kidnappings, a lot of times, you know, they would go home with them from the bar. They would go home with Jesse. So you can't really... There wasn't a whole lot to go off of. So there need people to talk in order to do this. So he ends up confessing. Um, Yancey does. So he confesses to Marie. Um, and he is charged with murder. Um, Cindy is charged. And I'll, I'll tell you guys in just a second. So he's charged with murder. Cindy gets charged with some stuff. Now, David, there's only three surviving victims. They have nothing on him to be able to charge him with murder. They have no bodies. They have nothing. So what they're doing is they're charging him with everything under the sun, right? Like kidnapping, torture, be all this stuff, right? Um, but during this time, one of the victims that survive actually ODs and dies. And so her testimony is the only thing they really have of from her along with the other two victims. So now he's only got two surviving victims that can actually go to court and tell their side of the story and what happened. So all in all, you guys, he did have 200. He did have so many charges, so many charges. So they tried it. They charged him for everything they could possibly charge him for. Um, you know, I believe there was, cause there's not even attempted murder because of the Marie, um, Yancey confessed to actually killing her because he was the one that physically killed her. Um, but I know that like, you know, obstruction of justice, um, dead body stuff, like there was a lot of charges that he was able to be charged with. So in the long run, David got two. So also a plea deal in the long run plea deal. David got 224 years. So at least he got basically life. He should have gotten the death penalty, but how you can't do that when you don't have a murder charge. Um, and it has to be like, you know, first degree murder. So 20, 224 years in prison, Cindy, the girl, she got 36 years for just, again, mo most things, kidnapping, obstruction of justice, that kind of stuff. She served 18 and she was eligible for parole. But as of right now, 
she's never gotten out. So I think she put in for parole. I'm assuming it got denied and she is still in prison as we speak. Um, his daughter, Jesse, she got charged with kidnapping and found guilty. She got two and a half years for kidnapping. People go away for life for kidnapping. But I'm sure because she spilled the beans and went against her dad, they gave her a deal. So she only got charged with kidnapping, only got two and a half years and five years probation. That is it. Five years probation, basically. And that was over a long time ago. Um, Because this is this is right at the late 90s. So 99, 2000 is when he was busted. And this all happens really fast. Like they all go to trial or whatever. They basically don't really go to trial. But um I mean, they do, they go to trial. David goes to trial because the two victims that survived go and testify and say all these things. Um, and they found all the drugs and stuff that he caped. So they know that he was using things that were causing amnesia. So like they believe, you know, they believe these girls. And then once you see everything, like you believe these girls. And now I also wonder too, at that point, I hope to God, the undercover officer and the fucking husband and mom of that one feel absolutely horrible about themselves and not believing this kind of stuff and having their judgmental views already. I hope to God it haunts them. Um, cause it's just, it's just so fucked up. And I hope to God it haunts the FBI that they like looked into him, but obviously you didn't because if you would have waited a little bit I don't know I kind of go back and forth because he probably didn't do anything during that time and Jesse doesn't really have like oh hey I know a body's out here like she doesn't know where he goes with them so she can only give them some of the things like oh yeah we took her back and then now she's gone so I kind of get it but I still hope they all are haunted by it um and then Dennis oh Dennis Dennis Yancey sorry Yancey he received two 15-year sentences for the murder and probably a couple other charges. So two 15-year sentences, which is 30 years total. Although he was released in 2010, which was only 11 years served. 11 years served and he got out. Again, the justice system, so fucking backwards. Um, and now he's out doing his thing. So out of all of them, Cindy, so Cindy is not technically out yet, but she is eligible for parole. So I'm assuming she will get out. Um, and honestly, she might have already by now. I just, the last thing I read was that she was convicted and she had served the 18 years and was eligible. So that would be about 2017. So from what I know, she's still in there, but maybe by now she did end up getting paroled. I didn't see that. Um, Jesse only served a couple years on probation and that's already been done now. Like Jesse was probably done with probation like 2007 or so. And then in 2010, Dennis was already out. So all the other three are already out, did a little bit of time for these God awful fucking crimes. And then David, David was sitting in jail this whole time. And in November, 2002, um, he was going to be moved. He was literally going from jail to go to prison to serve his 224 years. And this motherfucker had a heart attack. He had a heart attack in his jail cell and died instantaneously. First of all, I need to speak to the maker. 
Why in the fuck did he get to go out like that? No pain, no nothing, just has a heart attack and instantly dies? Like, are you kidding me? Before he's even able to make it to prison to actually serve some sort of justice and time when he should just be in a box himself. Not even that. He should just be out in the desert as well. He should be dead. And yet, before he can make it to even prison to serve his time, he dies of a massive heart attack. And so at that point, though, they do open up the toy box killer or the toy box, the actual trailer. They post it. They publicly opened it in 2002 to, as well, because what they're hoping is that maybe some people, more people will remember um, certain things or maybe it'll come to their memory because there's, there's going to be more out there that he let go. Also on FBI.gov. I don't know if you guys know this, but there's like CIA.gov, FBI, like you can go look at shit. So FBI, you can go look at some infamous killer, like all kinds of shit and they'll show you things. So they have like three, oh, I don't know how many pages actually I shouldn't say because I'm not quite sure of um, trophies. So David did keep like jewelry, rings, hair clips, belts, belt buckles, like he kept treasures or trinkets, trophies, whatever the fuck you want to call them from his victims. So they do have pictures posted of all of those things, hoping that, you know, they can either discover like the missing person. Um, it does say that they went out and looked around Elephant Butte Lake. They looked through the lake, but again, they realized that unless somehow things get loose and come up to the surface, like you can't dive deep enough. Like you're not going to find them. Um, and then the body's out and about, like, I wouldn't be surprised if, I mean, it's already been so many years, but I wouldn't be surprised if even many years from now they find bones and start kind of finding missing people, but it's going to be hard. You know, you got to then identify them. And then the problem is, is he didn't really keep track of like specifics on them. I mean, he kind of did, but not enough for them to be like, Oh, that's, that's probably this girl. Like, but they're hoping that maybe they can still help some people that were subject to that. Or there's tons of missing women right now. Um, or even since way back when that have never been found and more than likely most of them are probably been killed and been buried out there. So crazy shit you guys like over 35 years of kidnapping doing the most horrific in my eyes to certain people I'm not comparing killers because all of them are vile and inhumane and pieces of shit that don't be, that don't deserve to even be called a human being like they don't and it doesn't matter where they've come from and how they've been created because they got to a point where they became that human being and they decided to make those decisions and they're not to me. They're not. Um, but the way he got away with everything, um, the things he did to his victims just, just, yeah, he's one of, he's one of them, but I mean, all of them, if you look into most serial killers or most people that have done these things, they do the most God awful things to human beings that you can never imagine. But yeah, this one always got to me. So that never had a body, never had a body come up. Now people may say, Oh, well maybe he didn't really then. I mean, maybe, but why would he keep such a, at age 15, his first victim keep some sort of journal 
because he would up himself. He'd be like, oh, okay, that worked. Oh, wait, that didn't work. Oh, okay, now I'm going to try this. Oh, nope, that didn't work. Or, oh, I had her for two weeks because she was this and that. Like, you know, why would he keep all of that if he really wasn't doing that to them? Now, of course, he didn't like right on there, killed, died, murdered or whatever. But it would be more specifics of what he wanted to do or how long he had them. So it's still hard to like put pieces together because there isn't a lot of information. But if you guys, yeah, like I said, I will let you guys know if I'm able to post a little bit so you guys can kind of get an idea of the toy box. Um, and I'll let you know where I'm able to post that because I'm pretty sure there's only going to be like one platform that's going to allow that. But um also, if you guys are more interested, like YouTube has his 50 minute long voice recording. It is it. You just have to listen to it in order to not even still be able to comprehend like how fucking awful and just imagine. I don't know. Being a woman, it's like imagine waking up disoriented naked on a tape like and you're hearing this like I it's just so fucked up. Um, and and, and the fact that in the long run, he was never even charged with murder and he probably killed 60. Like who even knows the number, right? It's way up there. Um, but yeah, so go look at that. You can listen to his video. You can, you can look up pictures of the actual toy box yourself. Like yourself, like I said there, I believe the documentary is only on YouTube that talks more specifics about the toy box and showing it and kind of the investigation from that point. Um, I listen to quite a few podcasts and I've always, I've known about him for a while. And like a couple years ago, I did a, I did one episode on him and stuff. So I've kind of picked up all this stuff from all kinds of things. And like, I wanted to start kind of from where he started. Um, cause a lot more of the other stories you just hear about once they found the toy box, once he had the one getaway, what happened, they don't really describe all this other stuff. So I wanted to give you guys a little bit more. Um, and again, kind of show too that, in the beginning stages of life, I mean, I truly personally believe that a lot are born with parts of their brain that, that they don't. They're not working. Like they've done brain scans and stuff on a lot of serial killers or people that do really horrendous crimes. And there's parts of their brain that are different, that, that, that fire differently than the rest of ours. But there's also people that have that same brain that have never hurt anybody, never done horrendous things. Um, and that's where it comes into play in my world, that nurturing you, you, you hear about a lot of these killers growing up in childhoods and you go, Oh, well, okay. Like it's awful that that's what it creates, but that's what it does. And I maybe one day might do one on Ted Bundy, but there was an interview with a journalist that Ted Bundy did at the end there where he flat out said, they were like, you know, if you could do something, say something good or leave something behind in this world, that's good. What would it be? And he flat out was like porn. Do not let your children or anybody be exposed to porn. Like if you can keep them away from that in this life, they will have a better chance. Like he blames it. Now, again, he's not the best one because he was already and had some really fucked up shit with his mom and stuff like that. But, but it is, it's that nurturing, nurture and nature, you know, nature is what you're kind of born and how you already are when you're born. The first three years of your life are very, very crucial to the type of human being you're going to be. Um, it's where you learn the most in the first three years of your life. You can learn the most. You're learning more things than we will ever learn or you're capable of. Um, but when nurturing comes into play and there isn't that and it's neglect and it's 
they're already exposed to the most awful, horrific things of in the world. How are, you know, their brains are automatically going to become obsessed with that or that is their world. Just like his daughter. She didn't realize that anything was wrong, like that he was doing anything wrong. Like this is the way people live their lives um, because she was exposed to it at such a young age. So anyways, you guys, thank you so much for listening to me. Um, I tried to keep this at an hour mark, but I'm a little bit more than that. But I hope that wasn't too all over the place. I hope I gave you, um, told the story very well. And um, yeah, I also hope that this fucked you up a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. But, but for real, he's one of those that I just, it's, it's mind boggling. Um, the things he did, the things he got away with. And then in the long run, how it all turned out, it's just like, what the fuck? But until next time, you guys enjoy, stay away, try not to be murdered, mayhem or chaos. And I'll see you next time.